Good evening, and welcome to the beautiful, historical Marionette Theater. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, hello, Mr. Smelly, and it's a fine July evening. How are you, sir? Well, just fine. I was just looking out the window to see if I could see any lightning bugs, and I don't yet. Is it too early for him? You know, I haven't seen any tonight, but it wasn't that long ago I was admiring them from our own yard. Uh, Oh, okay. You know, uh, Hubby has done a fair amount of planting this year. We... We finally decided that after our almost decade in the house, we were going to spend some of that money I was saving on my drive to work since I'm at home now, and uh, we put it into our yard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, the marionette theater is looking a little brighter that you brought some of those plants in. Uh, And um, and that that, that dead grass uh, that was... uh, outside has been replaced by some perennials so thank you yeah and um you know gertie got rid of the um the the spray cans of green paint just in time so i'm glad she hit those <laughs> <laughs> that gertie well she did the best she could you know and i wonder if she's done mixing up tonight's batch of boilermakers i mean uh-huh. we've got yeah. to have a send-off it is summer now I, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. And, boof, you know, it's just slightly cooler in here in the, the theater. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about had it with the hot weather. I don't know about you guys. Oh, I know that you've had to um, put away your nun habit for a while there. I mean, I, I know that Grandma was a conservative lady, but did she have to have you wear sweaters all the time? <laughs> Listen... I don't want to hear any talk about what I wear, okay? <laughs> Besides, I don't have my arms in the sleeves. <laughs> I just have it buttoned at the top and it's draped over my shoulders. So there. You, you, you know, when I do that, when we're out in public, hubby says I'm Barbara Bushing things. <laughs> <laughs> do you do that in public? Oh, that's funny. All, all right. Um, uh, listen, maybe... Uh, you ought to get ready for your intro, Gertie. Well, why the fine? Be that way. Yeah. And there she goes. Faced with retirement, senior news anchor Howard Beale announces he's planning his suicide during the evening news. When asked to retract... He stages an on-air protest that inspires an aspiring producer to cast Beal in his own show, focusing on the problems of the day. Will the angry prophet be a ratings success? Will Howard's friend Max find happiness with the producer? Will Howard get medical attention for his fainting spells? <laughs> Grab a tweed sport coat and some Tums. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. It's time for Network with Faye Norway and William Holden. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Okay, so we have stepped back in time to the 70s. So it's all about the short, the uh, gas shortage and the economy crisis and Tricky Dick. <laughs> tricky dick all right and uh as the senior showgirl told us we're watching a film we're discussing a film we watched tonight about a, a network tv show so that was 1976 and uh, one of the things we like to do is uh 
set the stage, we want to tell you a little bit about what was going on in the world then. This is the U.S. history in 1976. All right, so those of you who are sports ball fans, the Philadelphia Flyers, yes, they're a hockey team. Well, they won 4-1 to one against the Soviet Union's Red Army team. What else would they be called? Oh, and Clifford Alexander became the first African-American Secretary of the Army in 76. Hey, finally some uh, equality there. Conrail, it formed from the, it was formed from the 13 Northeast Railroads in bankruptcy in 76. And uh, it operated for 10 years under the name Conrail. So it was an amalgamation of uh, the railroads that were left over in the Northeast. In 76, Washington, D.C. added to the list of airports served by the Concorde. So, you know, that, that fancy, uh, you know, faster than the speed of sound uh, airplane? Well, it uh, <clears throat> flew out of D.C. for a time, and I actually got to go to uh, the airport that it used to fly from, um, oh, I'm, uh, it, was, it was Dulles, D-U-L-L-E-S, and uh, that was quite the fancy place. They used to have these kind of... Um, um, shuttles to take people to and from the concourse and the airport, and they used to raise up so they had a nickname called Moon Buggies. Uh, but they don't live anymore. They got rid of them. They replaced them with some uh, little subway trains. Anyways, so uh, in 76, the first class of women is inducted into the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And Gerald Ford defeated Ronald Reagan, Ronnie Reagan, in the race to become the Republican nominee for president in 76. Okay, so in 76, it wasn't all that long ago, but it was long enough ago that uh, a few young people have uh, sat in front of the camera. And uh, who were some of the celebrities that came into the world that year, Toppy? Uh, well, they're not young anymore. <laughs> well, we did have uh, Danny Pintaro. Uh, that's the little kid who was on Who's the Boss? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And also Reese Witherspoon from Legally Blonde. She was uh, born in 76. Also, uh, the actress from Clueless, Alicia Silverstone, all born in 76. Okay, and if you are not familiar with Clueless, or maybe it's your favorite film, not too long ago, last season, we talked about it with our uh, recent guest, Amanda Martini, so go back and check that out at matinamanusha.com. Oh, wait, so in 76, um, the program we're talking about tonight, it was a movie. Network came out that year. And uh, competing for attention in the box office, the top of the box office that year, was Sylvester Stallone's big film. It was number one. Rocky brought in $117 million that year. Oh, you know what, DJ? We were, DJ and I were discussing before we started if Network won Best Picture. Rocky did. Mm -hmm. And uh, the director was quite miffed. Uh, to understandably, and uh, since 76 was also the bicentennial of America, it's no surprise that uh, the number two in the box office was actually a documentary produced by the Smithsonian. It was called To Fly, and it celebrated the history of aviation in America. Wow, that's... Uh, I have no memory of that whatsoever, but that's pretty amazing that a documentary at this time in motion picture history uh was that popular do you have uh, i've never seen it or heard of it i hadn't either um but uh you know i i am tempted to see if i can find a copy so uh let's see here also uh since we uh have a Affinity for the underdog, the films that aren't necessarily appreciated as well. It would probably be no surprise. Network wasn't at the top. Now, actually, uh, a little bit surprised. It, it wasn't the bottom of the barrel either. So it was, <laughs> it, it was number 19. 
It, no, I I'm surprised by that. I would have thought it would would have been right up there with Rocky. I I was really surprised to learn that Network was that far down. As far as I guess, really, the way we rank these is is earnings, don't we? Yeah. And it looks like Network actually came out at the end of the year. It was um, about a Thanksgiving time release. It was November. So, you know, in all honesty, I think it would be a fairer thing to judge it as uh, the, you know, the following year's returns because it didn't come out (laughs) before 76 was practically over. Okay, maybe that's why, because, well, I don't know. I I just would have guessed Network would have been... Far, far more popular than number nineteen. Well, um, also, yeah, it was it just barely uh, was doing better than Logan's Run? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it, it the one that did better, one better than Network was Logan's Run, which brought in twenty four million. And the film that was just one rung below Network was a film called Across the Great Divide. And uh, this is a film that was made by a director who later in the 80s made one of my favorite uh, sci-fi films. And I do believe it stars uh, my, my daddy's hometown hero, Bill Pullman, in Ice Pirates. <laughs> oh. All right. Okay. Now, what, wait a minute. What did you mean by your daddy's hometown hero? Uh, well, Bill Pullman is an actor from a small town in New York. He's from Hornell, which was my father's hometown. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Huh. They, did, did they know each other? Did he know? No, but it's interesting. I've done some reading, and uh, Bill Pullman's family has a, uh, a history of being in the medical service. So, oh, I um, thought you were going to say they have a history of being in small towns. No, no, no. <laughs> Well, so do I if I'm on a road trip. But, uh, you know, uh, Bill Pullman's grandfather actually was the town coroner. So, you know, in sort of a Kevin Bacon, sort of like, you know, degrees of separation, it's entirely possible that Bill Pullman's grandfather might have met my great-grandfather at least once. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yes. So, Toppy, we've got a bunch of folks that came together to make this film we're discussing tonight. And one of those is what we like to call the magician of the show, because the marionette was a celebrated venue. It uh, was home to many things, including vaudeville and a magic deck. So, who was it that... uh, made this film well network was directed by celebrated and i do mean celebrated director sydney lumet and he was born in 1924 he passed away in 2011 an american film director he was a producer he was a screenwriter uh well over 50 movies to his credit you'd know him for movies like Dog Day Afternoon. Um, You'd know him for um, Twelve Angry Men. Uh, That would that would be would have would have been his first movie way back in '57. Um, You'd know him if you'd seen uh, The Appointment or Serpico. uh, Perhaps you know, one of his more modern masterpieces. The 70s was very kind to him. He had his greatest successes in the early 70s. Um, uh, Following Serpico, he did Murder on the Orient Express. Who doesn't know that movie? Oh, goodness. Um, Then Dog Day Afternoon was in 75, uh, 76 Network, 77 Equus, 78 The Wiz. Can you believe this? Hmm. Um, and then uh, his, his maybe, I don't want to call it a swan song because he had a career long after this, but I think the movie that got the his maybe his greatest critical acclaim was The Verdict in 1982, which also won Paul Newman an Oscar. So we're t- this, these are big movies, folks. Um, and then um, 
he trails uh, goes on into the 80s and 90s with lesser known movies uh but the 70s i mean just one major hit after another and uh he was kind of described as a straight shooter of a director um very energetic and he would just get right in there and film it you know without he didn't have a lot of flourishes you know he just got in there and got her done and uh and he really uh i think he just excelled at, at just putting the drama on the screen um so a lot of his a lot of his subjects tended to be anti-heroes like dog day afternoon um and his choices were real winners um so uh you know we're really you know lucky to have, have had his his work and and he worked well i mean he just worked w- right up until the end of his life uh he he loved to work and he just kept on working so so i think uh just an amazing career and i think network you know is is a a, a, a great offering from him and I think my my personal favorite, <clears throat> uh, well, one of my personal favorite is as I loved. Uh, he he did. Um, oh gosh, I can't think of it now. Oh, Death Trap mm-hmm. <laughs> with Lawrence Olivier, and um, that that was one of my favorite of his. But um, you know, he really uh, had an an interesting and very. Uh, he could do really serious work, and you know, I don't. I think the Wiz is his only musical, but the guy that did Network also did the Wiz. Huh. How about that? Wow! <laughs> so, uh, so great stuff from from this guy. Very well admired and loved in Hollywood. Hmm. So the leading lady in Network was. Miss Faye Dunaway. Now, at the time, she'd uh, been made famous by a little film she did with Mr. Warren Beatty, and we'll talk about that in a sec here. But Faye Dunaway was born in the panhandle of Florida, near Tallahassee, and she began acting in television in the mid to late 60s. Now, her first film role was in Hurry Sundown. This was a film in 67 starred Michael Caine and Jane Fonda. Hmm. And uh, that has me intrigued. And uh, Yeah, I don't know about this movie. Yeah, and that year, Dunaway would also appear in a total of three films, including her first leading role in none other than, as I mentioned, with Warren Beatty, Bonnie and Clyde. That's what propelled her. Yes. To stardom. She was a mall. <laughs> Network was her 17th film, so she was a veteran at that point. She was a busy girl. Yes, and in the year prior, which was 75, Dunaway appeared in The Three Days of the Condor, which starred Robert Redford and one of my favorites, Mr. Max von Sydow. She would appear in five films over the next five years, including... A guilty pleasure, a cult classic, Mommy Dearest in one, which, you know, um, people know now nowadays not to ask her about it because she feels it typecast her for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to date, Faye Dunaway has 116 acting credits. Most recently, she starred in a film called Inconceivable, in 2017. Inconceivable! <laughs> With Superman wannabe Mr. Nicholas Cage. Now, please. <laughs> you know, recently I just saw his test footage of being in the Superman costume. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe, first of all, that anyone would have ever thought of him as being Superman. Although... I'm sorry, we're getting this is just an aside. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Cage loved comic books and superheroes, and he desperately wanted to be Superman. But thank God someone put the kibosh on that. <laughs> Jesus. I wish somebody would have told that to, um, oh, uh, what's Matthew Broderick that he should be in musicals? <laughs> <laughs> DJ! Mm. 
Oh, oh my God. Oh, no, I didn't. Uh, Did I say that? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Oh, lardy. I mean, we, we have had ventriloquists in this theater. Seb. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 funny. So who do we have next in the lineup, Tom? Okay. Well, uh, pairing up with Faye Dunaway is William Holden. Now, he had a long uh, career. Um, and uh, I, I think you could say most people remember him for his... Um, is acting uh, in the she now the movie's gonna leave me <laughs> the one where he he was with the old hollywood star oh tommy knows i know tommy knows desmond uh, oh damn it oh tommy knows he'll put it in the chat room um and uh he was a young man uh mm-hmm. in that movie and then uh, somehow he just i don't know what happened to him but he wasn't very active or he wasn't in a lot of good movies. And then the next time everybody saw him, he was like an old man, an old man in Towering Inferno, which was in 75, mm-hmm. which sort of resurrected his career again. And mm-hmm. suddenly he he was in like seven movies in the next five years. Mm. Um, but a network was was one of them. Uh, uh uh, as Towering Inferno was. Oh no, Tommy says he doesn't know. <laughs> oh, this is a famous movie. Oh, for heaven's sakes! Now I'm sorry I brought it up. Well, I'm I'm looking at a list here, and I've got Stalag Seventeen. So- okay, yeah, let's go over his movies. Tell us what he is. Uh, okay, so he's most well known for Stalag Seventeen, also in Sabrina and Sunset Boulevard. Hey! That's the one. Okay. That's the one. That's the one that really made his name. Yeah. Sunset Boulevard. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to take away your card top. You don't know a musical. <laughs> <sighs> no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It wasn't a musical when it oh. was a movie. It was made into a, a musical. Oh, that's funny as hell. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, anyways, uh, he, 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 he was a star. He was in like... I don't know, uh, 67, 70 movies over his lifetime. Um, and, and and it's funny, I, I mostly remember him for his last handful of movies, like The Towering Inferno and, and, and Network. So, hmm. but, but, but he's had a, a variety of, of co-stars all the way back with Barbara Stanwyck, Humphrey Bogart, Dorothy Lamore. Betty Hutton, Robert Mitchum. And then there's there's Gloria Swanson from Sunset Boulevard. It's just to name a few. So he was a big deal. And it was kind of a big deal to see him kind of return to Hollywood um, in the 70s. So there you go. Okay. So next up on the cast, we have sort of the... Uh, the supporting cast, but he's he's actually the the character that the whole story follows, and uh, that's Mr. Howard Beale, played by Peter Finch. Now, Peter, he's got an interesting past. He was born in London, but his dad was Australian. His stepmom was French, so he lived in France for a while, and then at one point, by the time he was a teenager, he'd gone to live with his uncle in Australia. So, uh, as we both know, of course, that's on the other side of the world here, so there are some uh, hidden treasures that Mr. Peter Finch starred in, but he began acting in his 20s, which was in the late 30s. His first leading role was in a film in 44. It was an Australian film called The Rats of Tobruk, and this was a story about fighting Nazis in North Africa. Now, Network in 76 was his 47th film and before he passed away he had starred in 57 films yeah and i want to say one of the last things he did was a movie called the dresser do we know this for sure well let's take a quick look. yeah let's find out i think that may have been his last i think he may even have Gee whiz, I don't know if he won an Oscar for that. Well, there was, uh, actually, there was a film that he did after Network that seems to have 
it's it's either um, Yiddish or maybe French. It's Raid on and Tab, but that was a TV movie. Um, oh yeah, and I I'm thinking perhaps the film that you're thinking about might have a different na- title um, because I I don't see anything called the dress. Well, I I may have. Uh... I may be wrong about him being in the dresser. So that's okay. He, he was another very, he was a very well respected actor. Um, and, uh, do you have a list of some of his earlier work? Well, let's take a look here. I'd really like to know because sure. uh, he, he was a busy guy. Well, let's... And I think, I think he and William Holden were very close to the same age. In fact, I think they both passed away. One right after another, right, right after network. Yeah, we do have some trivia that we'll get to uh, after our intermission in a little bit here. But um, all the titles that I've seen Mr. Finch in seem to be Australian films. Like okay. uh, The Farmer Goes to Town, Mr. Chedworth Steps Out, um, and there's Red Sky at Morning. I mean, all of the the films that I looked at in his earlier career were supporting roles mm-hmm. and they they all starred someone I, I'm not familiar from American films. So uh, so I, I think that they were all Australian. Okay. All right. But uh I, I'll go ahead and uh give a little tease here. Mr. Finch was so Australian. How Australian was he? Well when he won, went to audition for network the director was concerned about his accent, so hmm. he read to him the New York Times in his best American accent. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say, watching Network, I didn't get a hint of Australia. I mean, he sounded American to me. I'm really surprised by this. This I mean, he must have. That was a really good American accent. Mm-hmm. Gee. Oh, so we are at about the halfway mark in this evening's program. So we're going to sneak on over here to the snack bar and uh, maybe steal a boilermaker or two from Madame Gertie. And uh, while we're enjoying our drinks, we're going to be listening to an interview that Sidney Lumet, the director of Network... Lumet. Uh, Lum- he does pronounce the T. Ah, Lumet. Okay, so Mr. Sidney Lumet uh, did an interview with PBS, and he talked about Network. What One of the fascinating things about uh, Patty is that... Uh, the screenwriter. He writes a character who whose protest becomes a byword today. I mean, it's in the language. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. What I love is that Howard Beale does absolutely nothing about it. (laughs) There's no action from then on in. He only continues with something which began before he made that speech, Uh, because it's when he's still in his normal anchorman's clothes, and uh, when he's still comparatively sane, that he says, I just got tired of the bull. Uh, so he starts telling the truth before that scene. Uh, he's clearly in a psychotic state in that scene. He's left the house in his pajamas and a raincoat, walking through a, a thunderstorm to come do his broadcast. Uh, so that nothing changes in Howard Beale when he says, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. And one of the brilliances of, in the writing of that movie was that Patty would never be sentimental enough to make a difference. He has an audience out there which shouts along with the announcer, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And that that becomes as stupid and duplicitous as anything else. And Howard is yelling at them, you're not serial, you're not fake, we're the ones who are fake. And they sit there and he goes into a fit and falls on the ground, and they cheer. And when he gets shot, they cheer. Uh, the audience doesn't change. Howard doesn't change. Uh, Bill Holden loses his erection and goes back, wants to go back to his wife. God knows if she'll take him, but fundamentally doesn't change. The Faye Dunaway character, when he says to her, uh, 
You're the television generation. You learned life from Bugs Bunny. One of the great, great lines. Uh, and he says, you're, you're heartless, Diana. And he leaves her. And I had said to Faye, when I first met her, uh, I, I walked into her living room, and she was seated on a couch all the way across the living room. And I said, I know what the first question is going to be from you, and that you're going to ask me, where's her vulnerability? And I'm going to tell you right now, she has none. And if you try to get any in, <laughs> I'll cut it out of the movie. And when he's, Bill Holden said that to her, and I said to her specifically, I said, Faye, you've got to remember our first conversation. If I see, her, see any tear brimming when I'm shooting your reaction, brimming in your eye, I, I won't use it. I'm warning you. And, uh, and she got, got exactly what I meant, and she played the exactly perfect thing, which was, I don't know what you're talking about. All right, so we've talked about... That was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, DJ, you you told me before we went on mm -hmm. that, that you were unaware that network was the source of that catchphrase. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I saw this movie, you know, back when it came out. So uh, how <clears throat> I'm really interested in knowing from you, did this film seem dated to you or uh, did it seem like it, it could be a, a movie that was made today? I'm really curious about how you feel about that. Well, I, uh, as a, as a self-proclaimed child of the eighties, I'll tell you that from my impressions, films from the seventies seem to have more in common with the eighties to me. So it, it, uh, it had a comfortable feel to it. I mean, just looking at some of the decor in the studio sets made me want to redo my rooms. <laughs> and for those of you looking on YouTube, I've, I've got a an old-fashioned, old-style end table lamp here with some, you know, uh, soft glow going on behind me and, a, and some paneling, which was very prevalent in uh, office spaces in the 70s. But, um... You know, uh, I think that the story itself, because, you know, it's my understanding that the, we, we chose this film because of the, the world that we lived in in the past year. And uh, certainly a lot of that sensationalism and the reality and the, the um, you know, the bold details of the real world that were going on in the yeah. 70s. It, yeah. it all played into that. So it, it was interesting to me to watch this understanding that this was set in the 70s, but, you know, appreciating it for the fact that this is a story that, um, you know, has bearings in today's world. Yeah, let's talk about this a little more because... Um, uh, and and Marin Gertz in the chat room agrees. There's there's a lot of of comparisons of this movie to to today, and <clears throat> I think it's important to note that the, the Faye Dunaway's character uh, is the one that pushes this Howard Beale after he kind of has a well kind of a psychotic episode on air, and <laughs> it gets ratings. Okay, mm -hmm. and Faye Dunaway pushes it to the point where Howard Beale gets his own show that is wacka doodle, <laughs> but it presages American television before there was any Jerry Springer. Okay, before there was a Jerry Springer or all those trash tabloid, god awful TV shows that just littered daytime tv uh it it, it, it and, and and sort of presaged where morning talk shows went where it, it went more to, to like entertainment than news the entertainment part became much more important th than giving you the news and i mean what do we see on network on howard beale's show there's this woman who tells the future right right and then what is it? Do you remember? There's this guy. I don't know. I don't know what is. I don't know. There's three or four other spots 
that open with this fanfare. And the last person that introduces the star are appealed. But right. got, who are, I don't remember this. One guy just sits there. I don't remember. I, I but it, 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 it made <clears throat> it, 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 it was making the news like more about personalities and dramatic content than about actual journalism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, even today, especially through that last election, uh, oh my God, uh, where does does the truth matter anymore? Right. <laughs> um, and I think this movie really nailed it. Uh, it was uh, what what motivated Faye Dunny Dunaway? It it was higher ratings. What were higher ratings? Money, mm-hmm. money, 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 money. That's what it was all about. Yeah, she was the producer, and it was all about uh, ensuring the future of her station. Yeah, and and also ensuring her uh, presence as a dominating force mm-hmm. in what was done, who you know, what was said. So I, I just think this movie was visionary. I don't know if they knew it when they were making it, but, um, you know, it, it even kind of like reality TV show. I mean, you could even say, you know, what what was the Howard Beale show, but kind of a reality TV show at the end. Well, you know, the the way that they tried to... They presented it as a compartmentalized show, and he was introduced as the star at the end. It um, it has the flavor of what they try to call the the magazine style show, you know, where it's, yes, and yes, it was of course sort of ahead of its time, but um, you know there there there's a lot about this film in terms of who worked on it and who was involved. I mean, as you said. Howard threatens to take his own life on television. And this is on a channel who is in the toilet with their ratings on that evening program. And suddenly the phones are off the hook. This guy is causing a spectacle. And so we want to embrace him because he knows how to capture the audience. But from the perspective of today, Today's world, what I found interesting was William Holden's character, Max. Mm. He claimed to be Howard's friend. Yeah. And when the station um, said that they were going to, you know, take this and run with it, he was worried because his friend was out on a limb there. He was going to take his own life. And these guys are trying to say, yeah, that's great. It, it's getting us ratings. Do it again. And he's like, no, this man needs help. And they're just like, ah, whatever. Yeah. And we never really know what's going on with Peter Finch's character. Uh, is he having a psychotic breakdown? Or is he having visions because there's a scene where he's alone in his bedroom. He's sleeping. He opens his eyes and he starts talking to somebody in the room. We don't see anybody, but he's obviously having a vision. It's very clear. And the vision is telling him what to do. So, you know, what do we make of that? I mean, what do we make of visions? What do we know about what was making him do the things we do and, and why does he fall down in like a fit at the end i i don't know i i think we're in, we're led to believe he, that the end of every howard beale show he falls down in a fit <laughs> he does <laughs> and i just so. i mean you know it would be one thing if this was some you know uh actor doing a role from shakespeare and that's expected but that's not natural for somebody to just throw down on the floor like that after speaking out. Now, of course, we, we, we learn as we, you know, pull back the curtain that poor Peter Finch, he was in poor health when he was filming this. In fact, okay, you mean in real life? Yeah, yeah in real life. And in fact, uh, he was he passed away before the Academy Award could honor him. Oh, yeah. And even the director, Sidney Lumet, he was 
uh, auditioning him for another role. In fact, Sidney Lumet was the person who took him to the hospital when he was pronounced dead. Goodness. So, you know, he, he was performing these scenes was when his character was exhausted. And, uh, in fact, uh, we learned through reading up on the film that Peter Finch had to deliver a couple of performances of his mad as hell speech. And rather than have him do it over again, they just spliced together his best efforts. Hmm. But um, um, because they were afraid for him and they didn't want him to repeat it. or uh, I, I wonder if maybe the director thought he gave his all and mm-hmm. they weren't going to get it any better. So yeah. he just chose the two best. But, you know, some of the other cast in this film, they had prior history. Like, um, you know, Faye Dunaway and William Holden, they were both in Towering Inferno before this. And apparently behind the scenes, William Holden was not too fond of Faye Dunaway because, uh, you know, while they were doing all the scenes with fires and whatnot, she was in her trailer taking phone calls and fixing her makeup. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but they, uh, yeah. They, they, they had to uh, call a truce to make this film and in an interview, in an interview Later, Faye Dunaway said that uh, she saw, you know, basically another side of Holden and they they were able to make amends. But, you know, well, well go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, and you were saying about the, you know, the reality po- uh, aspect of this with the spectacle and how a lot more of television these days is reality. Well, it's interesting if you think about it. This is a film about evening news and they tried to get iconic people from the news. Walter Cronkite was considered for the role of Howard Beale. Yeah. And he turned it down because this was just a little too much reality. <laughs> huh. Um uh, well let's talk let's talk a little bit uh about Faye Dunaway and William Holden, because that's a major part of the movie, their relationship, where it starts and where it goes. Um, And um, uh, I mean, you you can see Faye Dunaway just discards men in her life. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to her, nothing. Her career is everything. And the fact that she may have sex with men is like beside the point to her. I mean, and yet she gets involved. Um, uh, William Holden finds her just magnetizing, just like uh, he can't get over um, and her thin and vigor and enthusiasm for making the show. Um, and then, he even leaves his wife, played by Beatrice Strait, right, and uh, who won uh, an Oscar for a role, right, supporting actress for mm-hmm. Network, Beatrice Strait. Yeah, is that right? Yes, sir. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting to note that Faye Dunaway is playing a character that is, you know, a successful career person, and I guess you could say that. You know, people in these roles, they they risk becoming the stereotype that maybe they're opposing. So here you have a woman who is trying to be successful in her career, and perhaps maybe stereotypically a woman should be emotional and there should be romance involved with a love affair. But no, she more closely resembles her male counterparts who she basically had to step on to climb the corporate ladder. So she learned the the tricks of the trade by her mentors. Um, Good point. Good point. Yeah. She's ruthless. Um, And in two of the best scenes, first there's William Holden telling his wife, Beatrice Street, that he's leaving her. Uh, A devastating scene. And you want to be mad as hell at William Holden. You just want to be. But somehow I couldn't, I couldn't hate him. I just couldn't. Uh, in spite of what he did, 
because he just seemed so trapped by infatu his infatuation, like it wasn't it was beyond his control almost. And so that one scene where he he basically just up and tells his wife, "I'm I've met someone and I'm leaving." Um, you know, a, a brilliant scene. But the other brilliant scene is when William Holden tell basically tells Faye Dunaway he's leaving her. And he breaks it down and, you know, says, this is what kind of person you are. And I'm afraid for you. And you're leading a path, a path of destruction. It, it's an amazing uh, story arc of his relationship. And, and then when he's telling her, you know, here's what I really see of you. And she's just listening. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you, that, 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 clip you played of the director saying if i see one tear in your eye i'm not going to use it <laughs> and by god she's she was there and she heard every word william holden said and she doesn't have a damn tear in her eye uh oh tommy hash brown says uh, favorite on-screen meltdown scene i'm not sure uh if he's talking about a different movie or or network anyways so you know, you um know. but that, that that's brilliant i i just think the william holden story arc there mm-hmm. is just brilliant you know and it uh you know should be noted that uh, william holden's character max had the advantage because this is essentially a workplace romance i mean sure at one point he was possibly her mentor because it, it's it's mentioned how you know, she grew up watching Bugs Bunny and, you know, him being an older man, he was on TV as, you know, a, a career person. But, um, you know, if, if it were just a typical romance, something that had lasted as short as that, I don't know that he would have had the wherewithal to make the judgment that she's cold and detached. He has experience because he's worked with her. He knows how she rationalizes things and how she makes decisions. So... You know, to to her, he was just another light switch being flicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it, it's almost like William Holden getting into this whole thing. Like, he knew even then it was a, a terrible mistake. And he was getting involved with a a woman with no heart. But he couldn't help himself. He just couldn't. He just... You know, infatuation was so strong, um, and and I don't know. It's a really interesting part of the story. Like, okay, can we talk about the end of the movie? <laughs> um, um, yes. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that that you really love some of there. Believe it or not, folks, there is some humor in this movie, uh, but the humor comes in uh, from kind of the absurdity of uh, context. Uh, so there's this um, what this one group uh, involved in that Faye Dunaway gets. It's this woman, this black woman, who's practically a terrorist, mm-hmm. really. Um, but she... <laughs> Offers his, offers her a spot on the Howard Beale show. She's she's going whole hog for the sensationalism. She figures she's got a guy who they're calling the angry prophet, and who best to pair them up with, you know, as far as other shows that are they're lining up because she wants to be the number one station next season. So she she grabs this lady who's well known to be active in protests and at the time in the 70s this is you know practically the height of the cold war and this is a woman who's known to be a communist a socialist yeah um and 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 some of the ways that that the network in 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 the position of Faye Dunaway has to negotiate with with these people you know, is an example of some of the humor. It's just so absurd. <laughs> um, and, 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 and the concerns of, uh, of this, um, uh, this woman, who, you know, who, who wants, you know, she wants to get paid for what she's doing <laughs> and, and their negotiations are, are humorous. And there's a lot of that in there. And, and then, 
what at, at the end, Faye Dunaway secretly goes to this woman and says, we've got to get rid of this Howard Beale guy. Can you kill him? And, you know, that's the thing that put me off so much, Toppy, because as I'm watching the scene unfold, I, I'm thinking, okay, there's not that much left of the film. How is this going to end? And I thought just the same way that some films begin with a narrator setting the scene and introducing you to the characters, I thought... Here we've got a meeting room, and you've got, you know, the principal players sitting there. They're making their decision, and I thought that that was going to be the fade out, and that was the end of Howard Beale's career. And I thought maybe them talking about killing him was like, you know, canceling his show. <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and I, I think that may have been intentional, like, you know, killing the show. No, they were ta- they were talking about killing the guy, and of course, since um, it worked so well for the ratings, uh, when uh, Finch's character said he was going to kill himself, well, why not kill him right on the air? Right. Uh, it almost goes over the top there, but but somehow it remains believable. A uh, crone in the crone uh, uh, haven in the chat room uh, compliments the uh, writer Patty uh, Chayefsky, calling him a genius. And crone uh, says this movie was a satire at the time, and very much a film of its time, uh, which and, and which now seems prophetic in these days of idolizing TV and media celebrities, and that's so true i i I mean it's it's amazing that perhaps patty chayefsky somehow intuited this is where things were going yeah and it's it's so appreciated to the point where in 2000 the film was selected for preservation in the united states national film registry by the library of congress and they said that it was culturally historically or aesthetically significant hmm um, I, I, I guess aesthetically, the way they shot, I, I, I'm really impressed by the way um, Sidney Lumet shot the ending uh, and, and showed like the gunman coming in. And, and you, you slowly started realizing, wait, wait a minute, they, that, that, that they really are going to kill this guy. And uh, the way they ended the movie, uh, those those that wonderful uh, uh, multi-panel uh, show of, of uh, different camera angles, kind of like you're the director looking at the screen, and you've got to choose like what shot you're going to go to. Anyways, I thought that was all incredibly well done. Um, Myron Gertz in the chat room says. Agrees. The movie relates to now even more than, than 1974 or 76 when it came out. Yeah. Um, what? How did you feel? Like I, I don't know. I just you know we we have gotten uh, we deliberately chose movies in the last year that were kind of lighthearted mm-hmm. because of COVID and just everything, and I. You know, I I remembered Network as a very serious movie, but when I saw it again, I said, "Holy Jesus, this is dark!" Mm-hmm. And I thought, "God, I don't know if I should have chosen this movie. It's so dark. <laughs> I mean, really, it's got it doesn't have a lot to say about human nature that's good. You know, it really doesn't." Well, you know, it's it's important to learn from history, and I think that it's always good to have that, you know, um, ability to compare things. I mean, looking back at this as being from 76, other than the fashions and the surroundings, this is a story that can be told now. I mean, as as we were saying, so much of today's television is reality TV, and it's sometimes hard to know what is real and what is scripted because even those shows that are quote-unquote reality shows 
have a degree of guidelines on it. You know, oh, Debbie's going to go take a shower now and John's going to watch from the window. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Had, had uh, general, general feelings about it, about your, your experience with the movie? I think that it, it's in it, it's uh, and it's an important film to watch, just simply for the fact that it's the beginning of an era. No longer were we watching the evening news to find out what was going on in the world, because everybody was experiencing it through the day to day life. And you know, as as somebody who wasn't uh, necessarily thrilled by the events of the the prior four years. I uh, took a, a, a step away from the news for a while <laughs> because mm-hmm. of that. So um, it, it's important to look back at films like this because they, they do bring up conversation. You know, uh, what are you, where did you hear about this story? And are the people who are bringing this to your attention, you know, people who are well-versed on the facts or are they just reacting because they thought this was strange and sensational? Mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking about what the movie may have been saying about basically this crazy guy who's, who yell, is yelling at everyone to go to their wa- window <laughs> and open it up and shout, I, I'm mad as hell, I can't take it anymore. And then people do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people go to their windows and open up, and I, I wonder if it's kind of a commentary about, you know, we're sheeple, and TV so informs and influences us. You know, I'm sorry, but you can see this in the past year, the past election, mm-hmm. uh, with COVID. Uh, everyone made up their minds basically depending on who they were watching or listening to. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a little scary. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm a little scared just simply by the fact that, you know, those who didn't grow up watching the same form of television that you and I did broadcast television and who maybe didn't have, you know, black and white films that their parents watched their idea of media is this or that pop star or TV celebrity talking about their home life and what they buy their kids. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you don't have these people who decide to volunteer their time and go to work with the underprivileged in Africa. That doesn't happen. It's all about, oh, I started a home-based business and now I'm making scarves and dresses. Mm-hmm. Um. We're almost coming to an end here. Um, I thought it was interesting some of the trivia you found, DJ. Mm-hmm. And t- tell us about the real life. Either I don't know if it was attempted or it, it was an actual suicide on television. Yeah. So Network came out only two years after the first on screen suicide in television history. Television news reporter Christine Chubbuck. Of Sarasota, Florida. Now, the anchor woman was suffering from depression and loneliness and was often emotionally distant from her co workers. She shot herself on camera and stunned viewers who watched this, and it was on July 15th, 1974. Yeah, could, could be that motive. Well, just gave the writer a thought there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and this was before, you know, what, what's aggravated this whole thing is, is how news changed from a report at maybe noon, a report at 6, and a report at 11, to 24 friggin' hours oh. of repetitive going over the same points over and over because they've got to fill 24 hours. You know, I I have direct experience as a result of that phenomenon, Tapia. I worked for a company once that in their offices, they had televisions that showed the news. Because, you know, that's that's not going to be um, uh, inappropriate, just telling you what's on, you know, in the headlines. But I worked there when September 11 occurred. So those TVs were 
already on the news and now suddenly they're showing the attack on the Twin Towers and it's just constant repeat. So, so many people left that day just from the stress of seeing it on all the TVs throughout the building. Mm. Yeah. Also, just a little more trivia. Uh, the movie's included on Roger Ebert's great movies list. I can certainly see why. But uh, but also, I didn't know this. Uh, the movie filmed entirely on locations. No movie sets were built for this. Yeah. I mean, uh, it certainly has that authentic studio feel because they are actually using them. Yeah. I didn't know that. That was interesting. Um, so, uh, I don't know. It was way darker than I, th- I remembered. And I, th- I don't know. I hope people were interested in it. Um, and as dark it is, as it is, I, I, I think it's well worth seeing. There are great performances and great writing. Um, well, you know what, Toppy? Um, as somebody who doesn't always enjoy being out in the light this time of year, I think something dark was okay because it gave us a chance to cool off. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> Marin Gertz wonders, you know, what studios they use, but apparently they they did uh, at least maybe all of it or most of it in uh, Canadian TV studios. Yeah, because the uh, the big cities they couldn't spare the time to let their sets be used. Yeah, so um, those those were Canadian TV stations. Uh, also, Cronhaven says uh, she wants us to know that if you like network, please check out The Hospital, which was also written by the writer of Network, Patty Chayefsky, and it was another great uh, uh, satire, um, Crone says. Okay, so we're at the end of the program here, but we want to tell you about something else you might enjoy. If you liked um, Network, this is what we call our snack tray. Now, um, in the vein of it being a uh, film about the news industry, I'm going to recommend a film from 1996. Now, this starred Robert Redford and -and up-and-coming Michelle Pfeiffer. And uh, it was about an ambitious young woman determined to build a career in television journalism. She gets good advice from her first boss, and they fall in love. A film called Up Close and Personal. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to need help with the name of this movie. I know someone in our chat room is going to know it. Uh, It was a movie with William Hurt and I believe Holly Hunter. And it was also about network news and the hijinks but it was i think much more serious than up close and personal but it kind of also showed the underbelly of of network news and and just how oh kind of how fake everything is so tommy ash runs came up with it crone came and says she knows the film that i'm talking about and then tommy hash came up with the correct movie i was thinking of broadcast news that's the movie okay so uh of course the marionette was a celebrated venue of vaudeville and the sleight of hand magic so toppy will you go ahead and grab that bag of coins for me there you go i'm gonna tell you what's coming up next Okay. Tell me when an aspiring but lonely young architect buys his first computer, he decides to use it to impress the lovely and talented new upstairs neighbor. But things go awry when a personality begins to surface. By the director of many popular 80s music videos and starring the young princess from June. Next time on Matinee Minutia, Electric Dreams, with the voice of Bud Court. Ah, very good. That's Nick.
Okay, so uh, we are actually rounding down the season, and uh, we're soon going to be taking a break. We have one more episode, and that is going to be on Friday, August 6th. That's our season finale. Now, uh, we have a special invitation for you. We want to make this an all-inclusive party for all. The next film we're discussing, Electric Dreams, came out in 84. However, it is in a limited release only, only available overseas, not released in the States. And we're going to have a watch party. That's right. You'll be able to watch the film with Toppy and I before we discuss it the next week. So uh, just stay tuned and stand by in our Facebook group. We'll be giving you some more details. We'll be doing that on Saturday the 31st because July is a longer month. We get a little bit of a break before our season finale, but uh, we'll be doing that on a Saturday at about 5 o'clock on the 31st. Electric Dreams. Excellent. So I'd like to thank the folks in the chat room who come and support us as we do this all live. And uh, before I do that, could you tell people that are listening to our podcast, like how, how they can join us live. Okay. Well, the easiest way is to go to matinee, M-A-T-I-N-E-E, minutia, M-I-N-U-T-I-A-E, big word, dot com. And uh, there's a little controller mask sort of button there that says Discord. And that's the, the fancy newfangled chat room that a lot of gamers use, but we use it too. So if you come here on the first and third Friday of the month, you can enter into our audience and you can carry on with us and share some fun pictures and maybe even answer some of the uh, trivia that's lingering on our minds. Right. So they need to go to Univaz. Uh, pod, wait a minute. What, what's our Univaz? Oh, you can go to, you can also go to univazpods.net, which is the home of our family uh, uh, network of shows. And, yeah, uh, you can find the, the button for Discord to click on. And also, there's another uh, logo icon uh, with a tower. Um, and you got to click on that to listen to the audio. So uh, there you go. That's how you do it. And by the way, it's 9 p.m. Eastern time, the first and third uh, Friday of the month. That's when you can find us. So thank you to our chat room, the folks that... Uh, Gave up their time to be here with us. We've got Tommy Hashbrown's our pal, and uh, we've got uh, the ever mysterious Cronehaven, and we've got Marin Gertz returning again. Uh, thank you all for being here and helping us do the show. All right. Well, in the uh, way of the old days of radio, Toppy, would you say good night, Gracie? Yeah. Uh, good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show? Or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.